Happy Super Bowl, y'all. I'm here in beautiful, albeit muggy, Tampa, Florida for what is sure to be a rambunctious home game with a substantial number of accompanying super spreader home parties. I've been here all week working with Swap Behind Bars on their annual Super Bowl bailout and legal assistance fund efforts. I told you all about this last week, but in case you missed it, Every year, law enforcement partners with anti-trafficking orgs around the nation to raise awareness about a storied influx of sex trafficking into the Super Bowl host city. In addition to having been debunked again and again and again, these myths persist and only serve to further marginalize the people these organizations proclaim to help by resulting in mass arrests of street-based sex workers who are vulnerable to violence and exploitation. This past week, Swap Behind Bars partnered with Lips Tampa, Big John's Bail Bonds, Metro Inclusive Health, and the Public Defender's Office to bail out women caught up in stings. We set up shop at the bond spot and did public-facing outreach there. We handed out clothes, shoes, and safety supplies, offered HIV and HEP tests, and connected just-released folks with essential resources. We went to first appearance court to witness for detained sex workers. We did late-night outreach with the girls out working on the stroll, offered employment opportunities to those getting out of jail so that they could work toward their own idea of stability without judgment and take the reins for their own community's development. All of this requires lots of money! So, if you're interested in helping, please donate swapbehindbars.org donate. Every penny counts. The average bond this season has been between $1 and $250, but even $5 buys a woman a pair of shoes, and you would be shocked to find out how many of these folks are pushed back out onto the street from the Orient Road Jail without any shoes. We try really hard to keep tabs on these folks so they don't miss court dates. We do what we can to offer short-term housing and refer them to pre-vetted legal assistance and counseling services if they indicate interest. This, we believe, is how progress is made by giving people the tools they need to allow them to make choices that are not entirely informed by poverty and trauma, including the trauma inflicted upon them by the criminal legal system. So again, that's swap behind bars slash donate. I know it's tied out there right now for a lot of people, and we really, really appreciate having you on this journey with us. Okay, so... Last year, I spoke with Alex Andrews. She gave me an in-depth explanation of the dynamics at play here. I also spoke with Reason.com's Elizabeth Nolan Brown, who walked me through some of the extensive debunking she's done on this very issue. I'm rebroadcasting that episode here for you today. Also, yesterday was released an excellent article by none other than previous All in a Day's Sex Work guest Michael Hobbs, featuring commentary by the Lips Tampa founder Ashante Coleman and myself. I'll link it in the show notes. Please give him clicks so he can keep giving these kinds of issues the attention they deserve. All right, settle in with your snacks and give this rebroadcast a listen. It'll be over before the halftime show. Just this past Friday night, they had a sting in Orlando and they arrested 30 sex workers. And these are adult considered sex workers. Um, and that's really what ends up happening is they, they, they run these operations, they do a lot of build-up, they get increased funding, there's a lot of donations going to identity trafficking organizations, and there's no evidence that they're going to find any trafficking victims or anything other than adult consensual sex workers.
Hey all, as I'm sure you're aware, whether you want to be or not, the Super Bowl is this weekend. Personally, I could not give a shit less about it. I don't know who's playing this year, and the last time I watched the game, I did so solely because Prince was doing the halftime show. But I do care that the lead-up to Super Bowl Sunday plays host to one of our country's most pervasive and dangerous modern moral panics. That there are shadowy men waiting in the wings for tourists to descend on the game's host city with hordes of chained-up sex-trafficking victims in tow. There is no evidence to support the myth that labor exploitation in the sex trade increases ahead of game day. And every year, the hundreds of arrests touted by law enforcement as such only end up meaning that more people are set up to be victimized by the court system. I feel no need to reinvent the wheel here. There has been tons of great, thorough research debunking these myths. I will link a lot of them in the show notes for you. CNN, NPR, Reason.com, Sports Illustrated, The Atlantic, The Village Voice, The New York Times. There are as many reputable sources shooting down this myth as there used to be running headlines spreading it. And yet every year, the enforcement efforts grow and spread and ensnare more consenting adults who are just trying to get by. We have people on the ground, though, too. Swap Behind Bars' Alex Andrews, in cooperation with the LGBTQ Freedom Fund, is pulling together money for a Super Bowl bail fund and working her ass off to get resources to people incarcerated for prostitution this weekend. I'll let her tell you more about the project today. Then I have a special cameo from Reason.com senior editor Elizabeth Nolan Brown to talk about what exactly is going on here. If you want to contribute to the Swap Behind Bars Super Bowl bailout fund, visit Swap Behind Bars on Twitter, at Swap Behind Bars, or at SwapBehindBars.org to donate. You can also keep track of their work this weekend via the hashtag SWSuperBowlBailout. That's SWSuperBowlBailout. Their 24-7 community helpline number is 1-877-776-2004 for those seeking help this weekend in Central and Southern Florida. That's 877 776-2004. Stay safe out there, folks. Trust your gut. Every year, the myth surrounding large sporting events comes up, particularly around the Super Bowl. Anti-trafficking advocates, politicians, Um, You know, a lot of the different orgs say that there's an increase in sex trafficking surrounding these large events. They've been debunked a million times. There's no increase in trafficking. There's no increase in, um, in people coming down to trade sex. There's no increase in buyers. There's any, any kind of increase whatsoever. And yet they continue to pass along this myth because it's uh, financially advantageous for them to do so. About a week ago, anti-trafficking advocates came into Miami and started handing out soap and stickers and started um, campaigns to, if you see something, say something. They started um, telling hotels that they wanted them to talk about their guests and if they thought that there was any kind of um, sex exchange for money um, at Oberon, uh, they wanted them to call law enforcement. Obviously, we already know that this kind of behavior is harmful to sex workers and to sex trafficking victims. Um, it's very, it's just not a, it's just not a good scenario. To top it off, it's, it's all false rhetoric. Um, even Polaris has uh, repeatedly now said, yeah, there's no increase in, um, in trafficking. And they're one of the biggest offenders when it comes to hype. 
so what happened this year is I went to a local um, human trafficking task force meeting um, with the victim substances committee and the police officers that were in the room uh, confirmed that they were going to be going down and operating stings in cooperation with Palm Beach, Broward County, and Miami-Dade um, to help set up stings to arrest sex workers and clients. So um, we started a bond fund kind of at the last minute in cooperation with the LGBTQ Freedom Fund and with the Woodhull Sexual Freedom Foundation. We want to raise $10,000 so that we can bail out sex workers who are arrested in Broward and Dade County that are that are going to be going to jail for no other reason because they're going to be targeted. Bond amounts range anywhere from two hundred to five hundred dollars for a prostitution charge, and we waited till the last minute to announce it because we didn't want law enforcement to um, to ramp up charges and to increase the charges and and try and and try and make it more difficult for them to get out of jail. So we, we kind of announced it at the last minute. We're hope that um, we're hoping to raise ten thousand um, dollars. We're about um, uh, $1,200 up. I'm very much looking forward to seeing, to, to being able to send some people out of a really hairy situation over the Super Bowl. We're also going to be collecting information from these um, people that we bought out. We're going to be getting a little bit more information about the circumstances, circumstances surrounding their arrest and um, to find out, you know, exactly who they are and what their stories are. And we're going to be sharing that information with Elizabeth Nolan Brown, who has been a fierce advocate for um, sex workers. And she's really spent a lot of time debunking these Super Bowl myths. And we're looking forward to being able to share stories with her about this effort. I've noticed that this particular year, um, the Super Bowl has been used in cities and counties and States where the Super Bowl isn't taking place, they're um, they're taking advantage of the hype surrounding the Super Bowl and the advertising about uh, about sex trafficking to do things in other areas. For example, the Super Bowl is not being held in Orlando, but yet they still arrested um, 30 girls. They just did a recent um, raid on some strip clubs in Jacksonville. Super Bowl is not happening there. Um, so I think that there's going to be a lot of um, law enforcement agencies that are going to take advantage of the hype surrounding the sex trafficking Super Bowl mess um, in order to um, do more stings so they can get more money to do more stings. You have to go with your gut. Um, it doesn't matter how much verifying you do, how much background checking you do. Um, go with your gut. Listen to your gut. Um, don't do anything that that makes you feel uncomfortable. Um, if, if, if a client who is calling for services and you don't know who they are is giving you the creep alert, listen to your gut. I can't tell you how many times sex workers have told me they felt something funny was going on um, and they just ignored their their instincts. Um, sex workers have superpowers when it comes to um, listening to our gut instinct and we need to make sure that we continue to follow that. I would also uh, like to add that um, the LGBTQ Freedom Fund um, has resources in um, the Miami Broward County area and they are going to be providing links to services for people who are arrested. We, um, we've been able to establish that we have a good relationship with the public defender's office down there, and they're going to be actively advocating for people um, that are going to have to go through the court system. The main one is just that sporting events like the Super Bowl attract sex traffickers to whatever city the event is happening in. That, um, you know, they know there'll be a lot of customers in town, 
so they're going to descend on the city and, you know, bring a lot of people who are either minors or who are in prostitution unwillingly through coercion or force or things like that. Right. And ostensibly kidnap uh, white people. Yes. yes. And sell them. Although, like, there's, there's, like, two kinds of, like, racist uh, and sex trafficking ads. Like, one implies all the time that, like, minorities are kidnapping white girls. But then there's also, like, you'll see a lot of victims that will only have non-white people as victims. Like, they can only be, it's just, yeah. It always ends up being a, a mess of racism and misogyny. <laughs> right, right. And then, inevitably, what seems to happen is that there is just a huge uh, ramp-up of law enforcement in the surrounding areas that leads to arrests of non-trafficked people, but of people who are doing consensual, illegal work. Yes. Every time you see headlines after a Super Bowl from a city city police or county police or, um, you know, Homeland Security helps out this too. And they've actually, you know, spread this myth and they'll say, we arrested hundreds in our Super Bowl sex trafficking things. And then you look at it and they've only arrested either adults who are willingly selling prostitution or maybe, I mean, maybe they don't know what, what their status is exactly, but they've, they've arrested them anyway. They've not helped them. They've arrested people selling sex and they've also arrested people who are trying to just pay other consenting adults for sex. There is kind of a numbers, there's like a numbers buffering that happens too, where, you know, maybe some of the people who are arrested out there are 16 or 17 years old or are runaways or whatever, but um, it, it's kind of a misnomer to classify those as like child sex trafficking victims. But you see this very frequently, I mean, outside of the Super Bowl too, just police departments and law enforcement agencies routinely say sex trafficking when they mean just any prostitution or say we found sex trafficking victims when they just mean that they found anybody who was, you know, trying to trade sex for money or sexual activity for money. Where do you think this comes from? So interestingly, there was the same myth uh, in the 80s and 90s, except it said that Super Bowl increased domestic violence. And it was like, you know, uh, the Super Bowl's here. All, all the men are going to beat their wives or something because they're drinking too much or riled up about the game. I don't, I don't know. It was, it was silly then, um, as silly as it sounds, because there was no empirical evidence to support it. But at the time, there were a lot of activists who were, you know, women activists, um, anti-violence activists who were trying to, you know, strengthen anti-domestic violence laws and things like that. And they sort of used this as a, an awareness method and, and were, you know, sort of fudging the uh, the facts about specifics and, and but sort of uses to draw attention to the issue. And then I think you've seen uh, a lot of those same groups and activists sort of pivoted in, in, in the past two decades to working on issues surrounding sex work. Um, and you, so you've seen them sort of recycle then that domestic violence myth for the Super Bowl and sex trafficking. So it's just, it's just a really convenient moral panic and it's a good way to raise funds. How does that impact law enforcement? And are they, what's the impetus? Are they getting federal funding to ramp up their, their efforts? Are they getting, I mean, are the guys getting the clock overtime? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, I think it's several things. I mean, federal funding um, during the Super Bowl for this and, and for a lot of quote-unquote sex trafficking things is, is a big driver of this. Um, there's a lot of federal money going to do partnerships between the FBI or Homeland Security and local police departments to do what are essentially just vice things, um, old-fashioned vice things. You know, also I think that, to some degree, you know, local cops get a lot of misinformation about this from very well-funded activists and from, you know, Homeland Security. And so I think sometimes they think that it's true and they're just really out there doing a good job. And, you know, also cops in general tend to like vice things because they can, you know, it's kind of easy work, uh, easier work than, than, you know, some things, you know, just drug things and sex things. And they get to then 
uh, collect assets that they forfeit and things like that and get, you know, make splashy headlines. Do some paramilitary cosplay. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's talk about numbers because it's, you hear really wild numbers get thrown out by some of these organizations and by law enforcement as far as like, oh, you know, 300,000, I feel like 300,000 is the big one because all these 300,000 children are kidnapped or moved into a, a trafficking year in the United States and whatever. And, and is there an actual source for that number? Like, where does that number come from? So, yes, there is a source for that number. It's a study from the 1990s, and the author of it now totally disavows it, says it was basically junk science. Um, the, the National Crimes Against Children Research Center, which is a very respected organization, gets a lot of federal funds, says, please do not cite this number. And it said that for about a decade now. But this, it's become, again, again, one of those sort of zombie statistics that won't die or zombie myths that won't die about sex trafficking. And it's just out there and it's being perpetuated in so many places that it just keeps getting repeated and repeated. Um, basically, the study used very dubious methodology. It said, you know, anybody who was in foster care was at risk. Anybody who only had one parent was at risk, all these sort of things. And then it tallied that all up. It would say that there could be multiple people in the same category that count up twice. And it found there were about 300,000 children per year that fit that the category and, and, you know, said, okay, they're at risk of being sex trafficked. So it was a dubious method anyways. And also it said that they were just at risk, not that they were. The at risk part definitely has gotten dropped when people repeat this statistic too. I think the important thing is that it's, you know, it's been debunked by so many people, um, you know, and so many pundits and the Washington Post is fact checker to so many groups have tried to disavow it, but it just keeps being put out there can come down to just evolution and how statistics are formulated, right? I mean, is there, I don't know that there really is a universal standard for, I mean, you can kind of just make up anything and say it. Right. And once it gets up there, and what was, what was crazy about the, the Post article is that he found it on, I think, you know, the whole Health and Human, Department of Health and Human Services website or some federal website. And when he called them to say, hey, where did you get this number? They were like, oh, it's a it's his Department of Justice number. We got it from this website of theirs. We sent them a link and he went to this other federal website. They were like, oh, no, actually that came from, and everybody thought it came from some other official source when it really came from this discredited 1990s study. Right, and then all it really takes is like one person to incorrectly cite it and then, you know, say somebody from HuffPost sees that and they incorrectly cite the incorrect citation and then suddenly it's been validated by to legitimate sources and then, and then you know. A, a right. People, um, politicians who are, you know, not really looking into the issue deeply, who are pushing legislation, they, like, they cited it on the, on the um, Congress floor. So, you know, it's in the congressional record. So, yeah, it's just sort of everywhere. And you, you can forgive people for, for obviously seeing it and thinking, oh, that must be legit because it's, it's cited so many places. But, yeah. What are some of the um, consequences of this kind of misinformation getting out there? Because I think a common assertion is that, well, you know, maybe the numbers are estimated a little high, but ultimately, you know, it's better to be overprepared than underprepared, et cetera, et cetera, that kind of thing. I think the, the biggest threat is that when you, what that doesn't end up making is dealing with a problem that doesn't exist rather than the problem that does. Obviously, sexual exploitation and violence do exist. Obviously, there are people who are in the sex trade who want to get out of it. Obviously, there are people under age 18 who find themselves, you know, having survival sex or out there working in prostitution. And that, you know, that shouldn't yeah, it's, it's a great big world. Be allowed in prostitution. Yeah, there are ways that 
people could be going after those things. But instead, we're taking all the resources, all the, you know, in terms of attention, in terms of police resources, in terms of money, all of that stuff, and spending it arresting consenting sex workers. People repeat this so that so that there's all this support because people think, oh, 300,000 kids, or there's going to be 50,000, you know, sex slaves descending on Atlanta, these big numbers. And so we get this huge law enforcement response. And this law enforcement response that's designed to go after people who are literally, you know, abducting women and girls and chaining them to radiators and, you know, forcing them into sex. And that's, you know, not the problem that really exists that we have here. You have been doing this disproportionate response and then all they end up doing is arresting the people in the sex trade. It seems to me that we tend to want to look at things as like a monolithic issue or event, right? Like there's not individual people in maybe domestic violence situations or in other kinds of tenuous or vulnerable positions who are um, getting into situations where they're being coerced so much as there's some kind of invading army waiting at the border of Miami for for you know the 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 kickoff to unleash their right, uh, right. their militia of of sex trafficking victims or whatever like it's it's really strange it creates right. a and that pressure yeah and then that that security you know you've got all the security theater you've got all these cops with this sort of look like this militarized zone around uh, wherever has the Super Bowl every year. And then if they don't find these hordes of sex traffickers, which they never do, descending on the town, then that really increases the pressure to do even more arrests of, you know, people who are just drug users or people trying to, you know, have prostitution with another consenting person. It's just because they've got so much you know, theatrical propaganda out there saying they're going to do it. So they need to like fudge their numbers then because of that. What kind of real numbers do exist out there around this issue? Not a lot of good ones. Um, you know, it's really hard. I think <laughs> the closest thing we have is, is to go on and is maybe crime data and the, you know, the federal crime data with police departments around the country reporting to the FBI. They usually say they've, they've opened a few hundred across the United States um, sex trafficking investigations per year. That's open, not necessarily led to prosecutions, not necessarily led to convictions. It's very, very small. Obviously, you know, that's not all the cases. Don't catch everybody. Not everybody gets arrested. And not all police departments report their numbers to the FBI. But when you, you know, think about still that number, a couple hundred compared to the hundreds and hundreds of thousands that we're hearing, it's just such a wide disparity between the truth and these myths. Even if we don't have precise numbers about, you know, the actual numbers, they're just very, very, very much smaller than than the, the myths say. It also seems to me that the larger number of people whose labor is being exploited around large sporting events or massive tourism uh, events are more often than not in the hospitality industry, hotels, food workers, that kind of thing. And, and I don't know who's keeping track of those numbers, if anybody. People in hospitality, people in agricultural work, and people in domestic work, like nannies, maids, things like that. I mean, they, they have very high numbers of um, immigrants working in them, so then they're vulnerable to labor exploitation. And just, you know, documented cases of, of labor exploitation in these industries are so much higher than than the actual cases of just, you know, just human trafficking and prostitution that we see. But everybody ignores that because there's no sort of political coalition that wants to take that on. There is, you know, all this... It's, Sexier, that's kind of gross to say, but it's sexier to go after something, you know, lord and sensational like sex trafficking. So I think that gets all the attention, whereas, you know, saving farm workers just doesn't resonate with people for some reason. Also, the real solution to any of this is 
to take an approach that is uh, nuanced and systemic, right? I mean, whether or not, I mean, setting aside the fact that just objectively it is not true that there's this huge ramp up in sex trafficking around the Super Bowl, ultimately, whether it is or is not uh, this ramp up, still would only be mitigating some of the symptoms by increasing enforcement that time of year. I mean, it's right. a systemic issue, right? So if you think that right. there are hundreds of thousands of children, women and children who are being forced into sexual labor, they're being forced into sexual labor all year round, doesn't it stand a reason? And that's why, you know, I always say that the, the you know, better solutions to things like this are decriminalization of prostitution in the first place, um, loosening of immigration laws or making, you know, sort of an easier path to citizenship for people who are here undocumented, because it's things like that, the, you know, criminalized status of prostitution, the criminalized status of certain people just being here that makes them vulnerable to sex trafficking. There's this easy way for people, you know, what we might call them pimps or traffickers or, you know, an abusive boyfriend, whatever you call them, to get in there and say, you know, well, I'm going to turn you in. If you're, you are illegal anyway, so I'm going to turn you in if you do this. And so, like, things like that really, yeah just are making people more vulnerable. This increased criminalization, I feel like, is actually, you know, makes people more vulnerable to sex trafficking or sexual exploitation year-round. Is there an increase in prostitution around these events? I mean, I feel like if I were uh, turning tricks and it was Super Bowl time, I would get the fuck out of town, frankly, just because I know that (laughs) there's going to be an increased police presence. I don't know from people who, you know, uh, who talk about having been in this industry a long time, uh, you know, Maggie McNeil's one of coming to mind and stuff. They'll say that, you know, yes, sometimes like in the past, maybe an event in town, like especially if you're in a smaller town, like, of course, there's going to be people in town that would have in the past, you know, led to more sex workers advertising and, and working, maybe even coming from neighboring, you know, places. But it's, now becomes such a trope that the cops are out there doing stings around people that, that you know, all the workers I know say they avoid working in, in that city if they work there that weekend or whatever. So what's the solution? What's the, what do we do here? Um, <laughs> uh, if, yeah, if I do that, <laughs> it's important that people are just out here. It's, it's so frustrating. I feel like, you know, um, the sex worker groups and, you know, journalists like me who've been writing about this for years are just like every year, every year on the Super Bowl having to be like, hey, hey, this is a myth. Hey. But um, <laughs> I think that's all, that's all we can do. Makes me think of like the poor uh, beleaguered podcasters who are out there trying to tell people there's no razor blades in any apples. Yeah. Debunking myths in this country is hard. Debunking moral panics in this country is hard. And the Super Bowl sex trafficking thing has definitely become a full-blown moral panic, I think. It's almost like we need it. I mean, media likes it, too, because it drives stories every year. You get, you know, there's only so many stories you can write about the Super Bowl if you're not a, on the sports beat that this provides, you know, newspapers and websites with a way to sort of get in on that. And I think that also fuels it. God, how much of this do you think is well-intentioned? I mean, it, the picture can be painted that it's, it's a very conspiratorial, you know, effort, and it's all about money, and it's all about these orgs. But I, I, I kind of feel like in talking to some of these, you know, anti-trafficking Rescue orgs and, and law enforcement, too, they have a very earnest desire to help people. They just are doing it wrong, which, you know, no one's terribly receptive to hearing that, right? I mean, I think that that's true when you talk about the people who are sort of on the ground or closest to the ground on this. You know, when you talk about the, the beat cops who are out there doing these things and, the you know, maybe or the, the groups, the local groups that are working on this stuff, I think that are very well-intentioned. I think that's when we talk about some of the, the federal actors or some of the really well-funded sort of crony charity groups pushing this, that their intentions are not as 
is pure. <laughs> but I definitely think that there is room. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, again, this is not a monolith either. You know, I think that there's a lot of people who are just well-intentioned and have misinformation. And I think that there are some actual, you know, malicious actors in some way that are involved as well. Right. And the more progressive movements can fall into that trap, too, as far as being like, no one is forced into sexual labor. And it's like, well, that's also not the case. Like, there are plenty of right. instances where, I mean, you know, again, it's a big world and everything that you can think of has happened. But ultimately, neither neither approach is, is actually getting to the source of this issue. And so I think you hear a lot of sex workers themselves saying, like, look, actually, you know, the line between sex worker and sex trafficking victim isn't, is, you know, as those sorts of labels make it seem. People want to really say that there's this clear line. And, and a lot of them say, you know, like, at various points, I maybe was in a bad relationship and, or, you know, in a bad situation. And I was, you know, being exploited or abused. And then I got out of it. And now I'm working for myself or and things like that. So but but the point that they stress is that whatever side of that line, of that blurry line that they've been on, the thing that didn't help was having police, you know, arrest them, arrest their customers, make the industry more underground. Yeah, right. Nobody's actually asking them what they want to have happen or what they need. Yeah, and nobody's listening. I mean, it's like sex workers are out there. People who are doing this are out there on the Internet and in cities across the country, you know, saying what they need. And But the people who are in charge of, you know, responding just aren't listening. Today's episode was produced by me, Blair Hopkins, and brought to you in part by Swap Behind Bars. Music by New Orleans' own Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Check them out at johnnysketch.com. Thanks to Elizabeth Nolan Brown. You can find her on Twitter at at Ian Brown. Special thanks as always to Alex Andrews. To contribute to the good work she's doing at Swap Behind Bars, visit swapbehindbars.org. And remember, All in a Day's sex work is an ever-expanding narrative. If you are a sex worker, partner, patron, or other adult industry-adjacent person, I want to hear from you. Email me at info at adswproject.org.